Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So the, um, y'all heard of Santa? Yeah? That's where, it, that's where it comes from. So, pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. I uh, kind of had to dress up as St. Nicholas for the kindergarten through fifth graders today. And like halfway through, I, I like went into third person. I forgot that I was supposed to be St. Nicholas. And I was saying, and he was born, blah, blah, blah. And one girl goes, I thought you were him. I'm like, I, you knew it was me all along. Oh, it was good. Anyway. So yeah, you put, you put your shoes out the night before, and then the tradition is that he puts candy or oranges or little gold chocolate coins in, uh, in your shoes because there was a father who was going to be selling his daughters into the oldest industry uh, known to man. He was selling them off uh, because they didn't have any money, and uh, he threw some money into the window through the house, and the money landed in the stockings by the fire, and that's where all of this tradition comes from. So he's not only the patron saint of uh, children, he's also the patron saint of prostitutes. So it's just one of the things you don't talk to the kids about. Um, <laughs> putting the hoe back in ho, ho, ho. You know what I mean? <laughs> so <laughs> are, we, are we live streaming? <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. So St. Nicholas, y'all, let's talk about the saints. <laughs> this is a disaster. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. We really need to pray. <laughs> All right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, through the intercession of St. Nicholas and all the saints, especially the Blessed Mother, we ask you to send your spirit upon us tonight, a spirit of joy and a spirit of openness to... Uh, just come to a better appreciation of who the saints are, what the saints are, our call to be saints, all of these things tonight. Lord, we ask you to help us make this prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. All right, well, we are off and running and live streaming, which is so good. So, all right, let's start with this. Uh, let's start with this. This... Um, this image is one small zoomed-in image. If you ever happen to find yourself in the City of Angels in California, Los Angeles, first, I'm sorry that you're there. Secondly, um, go to the cathedral, not to see the building. Um, you can say, to Ar say hi to you know, Archbishop Gomez if you want while you're there. But if you're going to go there, this is the reason to go there. So back in... I want to say it was the early 2000s, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles commissioned this artist named John Nava to um, put together these unbelievable tapestries. I'm going to talk about them a little bit more later on, but these, these huge tapestries. So he spent years doing this project, painting all of these individuals, depicting them as the communion of saints, so all of the saints in glory. You'll notice you've got people with like old looking clothes and people with modern looking clothes. And that was deliberate, right? So he has mixed amongst the, this, the canonized saints of old that we all know. He's got mixed amongst them um, like unknown saints that will never know their names, that, that will never be canonized, but there they are up in glory. And they're these, he did these, these huge paintings of them and those paintings got digitized and sent off to some 
weaver person who on a loom and with computers um, turned them into these beautiful tapestries and they line the walls they're massive and uh, you just you f it's one of the it's one of the most crystalline moments in my imagination in my memory as a Catholic of feeling like this this is what it is to go to Mass, to be surrounded by the communion of saints. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, why talk about the saints during an RCIA program, a Becoming Catholic program? There's, there's a lot of reasons. There's the practical answer that um, oftentimes many non-Catholics struggle with the church's teaching about saints. So you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe just give me some of this if that rings a bell. Yeah, that uh, a lot of non-Catholics and those who want to become Catholic, the, what the what the church maybe or maybe doesn't teach about the saints, whatever it is, the saints just pose an odd obstacle. Like, what, what's the deal? Like, what's the, there's my Jerry Seinfeld, what's the deal with the saints, right? What's the deal with the saints? So it's good to clarify these matters for those of us who, are, who want to become Catholic and want to give the fullest intellectual assent as possible. So let me just say some very basic Catholic teaching about the saints at the outset here, that, that as Catholics, this probably doesn't come as a surprise now because we talked about Mary last week, but we don't worship the saints, right? All of our statues of saints, images of saints, they are not worshipped. They are, they are not little lowercase g gods. Like, we don't, we don't worship them, right? There's a veneration of the saints, right? There's a, there's a respect for the saints, um, but we ask the saints for their prayer, for their prayers, for their intercession, right? We're not praying to them. Just like, remember I said last week, oftentimes Catholics, when we say I was praying to Mary, better way to say it is I was talking to Mary, right? Like we pray to the saints in the sense of asking them for their prayers, right? Just like we would ask each other for prayers. Hey, I got this big test coming up next week. Hey, I got this big biopsy. I'm waiting on results. I'm really nervous. Can you pray for me? Right? Like we are, um, we're in this boat together, right? Like we, we, God has set it up so that we are meant to pray for each other. So another practical thing here is that, that we don't pray. It's not like a form of necromancy. We're not praying to the dead because the saints, they're not dead. They are, they are alive, right? They are more alive than actually than you and I are. Like they are, they are alive in God. Remember when Jesus... It, this, is, this is from Jesus himself who taught, like, I am, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am the God of the living, not of the dead. That for Jesus, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not dead. They were alive, right? He is the God of these individuals, right? So the saints are alive, and they're, they're with God, right? So that's why we can have access to them. That's why we can have access to them. Okay, but even more so, on a deeper level, why talk about the saints? Why talk about the saints? I'll put it this way. Because the saints following after our Blessed Mother, right? Following after our Blessed Mother, the saints show us what it means to be human, if I can put it that way. They show us what our human life potential is meant to look like. Here's, here's a maybe crude example, but this is <clears throat> the best way I can think about it. So, um, Chris, you brought your guitar. Chris over there isn't, right? You brought your guitar? I did. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to play it. I didn't know you were going to do it. Yeah. That worked out great, actually. <laughs> Chris is an unbelievable guitar player. You put a guitar in Chris's hands, he's like a human jukebox. He will play anything. He's, he's an 
unbelievable musician. Um, you put a guitar in my hand, I can like fool you for about th three seconds. Like that guy probably, no, he does not play guitar, right? Like I can play like two, maybe three chords, right? You put a guitar in the hands of Chris, you hear beautiful music. You put a guitar in my hands, you don't really hear much of anything. The saints show us what happens when you put a human life into the hands, surrendered into the hands of God Almighty. Right? That's what the saints revealed to us. Right? Here's the problem with all of us. We, we are all Carrie Underwood not wanting Jesus to take the wheel. Right? That's who we all are. Right? We are all, I'm the driver, I'm in the driver's seat. Or you can put it in the biblical sense, I'm the potter and I'm the clay. I'm the one who's in charge of sculpting my life. Well, like most people sculpt their lives and the life ends up looking like a third grade art project, right? It's like, that's, grandma likes it, right? Um, <laughs> but it's not a masterpiece, right? And every single one of us, this is the thing, every single one of us, we have a heart that yearns that our life would be beautiful, right? Like we all want, by the time we get to the end of our life, like the desire is, I want my life to be beautiful. I want it to be lived well, right? What does a human life look like totally given over to the hands of God? If, if, if I'm the guitar, God's, I don't want to say God is Chris. <laughs> God's, Eric Clapton. God's Eric Clapton, right? Right. Put a basketball in LeBron James' hands, you see amazing things. You put a golf club in Tiger Woods' hands, you see amazing things. That's the point, right? They show us what it means to be human. They show us what our lives are meant to look like, and they inspire us. They show us the finish line, if I can put it that way, because there is a finish line. People, it's so common to hear people say these days that life is about the journey. It's not about the journey. It's about the destination. It's about arriving somewhere. It's about finally getting home, right? It's about the destination. And we're going to hear one of two things by the end of our lives. It's either going to be well done, good and faithful servant, which everybody wants to hear, or we're going to hear the other thing, which nobody wants to hear, right? but it's about the destination. We need, we need the saints to inspire us. We need the saints because we too are called to be saints. Every single person in this room, every single person is called to be a saint, which is way of, another way of saying we are called to the depths of holiness, to the depths of holiness. We need to hear their stories to remind us, to show us what, like what ordinary holiness looks like, what extraordinary holiness looks like. We're going to hear some stories tonight. I hope to share a few of these saints' stories tonight, but we need to hear their stories because, like I said, we too are called to holiness. And they're not made out of different stuff than you and I are. They didn't have access to different sacraments that you and I have access to. Like th those of you who are going to be baptized, it's the same baptism that, that all the saints were baptized with. It's the same Eucharist that they all feasted on. Like, there's nothing extra that St. Augustine had that you don't have access to. It's the same gift. It's the same, it's the same uh, fuel. So this whole idea right here that I'm getting at, that you are called to be a saint, this was really brought to the fore in the Second Vatican Council. The Second Vatican Council convened in the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s. So the Second Vatican Council pushed forward pretty intensely this idea of the universal call to holiness. I'm going to read from, uh, I think it's Lumen Gentium that I'm going to read from here, one of the, the documents from the council. That the church is believed to be 
indefectibly holy. Indeed, Christ, the Son of God, who with the Father and the Spirit is praised as uniquely holy, Christ loved the church as his bride, delivering himself up for her. He did this that he might sanctify her. He united her to himself as his own body and brought it to perfection by the gift of the Holy Spirit for God's glory. Therefore, in the church, everyone, whether belonging to the hierarchy, priests, deacons, bishops, cardinals, popes, whether belonging to the hierarchy or being cared for by it, is called to holiness, according to the saying of the apostle, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. However, this holiness of the church is unceasingly manifested and must be manifested in the fruits of grace which the Spirit produces in the faithful. Like, you are all called to this life of holiness. You are all called to be saints. You are all called to this. Like saints are not freaks or exceptions. They are the, the standard operating model of human being. Right? They're not the freaks, they're not the exceptions, they're not the outliers, they are the standard operating model of the human being. Right? Like health is the norm, sanctity is the norm. We are the aberration. We are the oddity, right? They are health, they are sanity, they are the rule, they are the norm. Like the church, why does the church include, why does the church include All Saints Day, November 1st, right, in her calendar? as one of the most solemn feasts, right? We celebrate the solemnity of all saints, right? Why does the church include in both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed this mention of the communion of saints? Like these are, this is one of the essential, essential doctrines of our faith, right? You're going to be asked, those who are baptized, do you believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins? You're going to be asked if you believe this. Like this is, the church is saying, this is essential. This is essential. Why is this essential? Put this quote on for size here. Listen to this. Life holds only one tragedy, ultimately, not to have been a saint. That's why this is essential. This is exactly why this is is essential. Maybe you've heard of this guy. His name is um, Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton, who's who's heard of Thomas Merton? Some of us? Okay, Thomas Merton was one of the most influential spiritual writers of the 20th century. He was a, is he Carthusian or Cistercian? Or Trappist. <laughs> Option C. He was a Trappist monk. <laughs> he was a Trappist monk. But he didn't start off that way. He didn't start off that way at all. He, he was a, a, a roaring 20s kind of atheist. He just was going with the times, had a powerful conversion. And later in his biography, he's walking down the street with his friend uh, um, Robert Lax. And Robert Lax asks the newly converted Thomas Burton, he says to him, so what do you want to be anyway? And Thomas Merton responds, I guess I want to be a good Catholic. And Robert Lack says to her, he says to him, you should say that you want to be a saint. You should say that you want to be a saint. Jesus asks the question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Or we could put it in our own language, like imagine you climb the ladder of success in this life only to realize at the end you've put it on the wrong wall. Right, like, Oh, here's some movie homework. This is not part of, you know, it's not in your journal, but your manual. But if you've not seen the movie, A Man for All Seasons. Anybody see this movie, A Man for All Seasons? It's the story of St. Thomas More. Unbelievable movie. It's so good. 
there's a moment, there's a devastating moment where this, uh, this sniveling creature named Richard Rich sells Thomas Merton out, right? And as he's walking by, Thomas Merton says to him, uh, he just sa says two words, for whales? Because early in the movie, he said, Richard, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And he says to him, you sold your soul for whales, right? Oh, it's brutal. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm, I had too much coffee before we started. Okay. We are called to be holy. We are called to be saints. And when we speak about the saints, we're speaking about the communion of saints. The communion of saints. Christianity, this is, this is key. Christianity is not a me and Jesus thing only. Yes, personal relationship with the Lord is essential, but you are called into communion, right? We have a God who is a communion of persons, right? You're called into communion. Like God is not, he's not given you this option for you to just ignore everybody and just be, it's just me and Jesus, right? He's not given you, he's not left that option open to you. Like the Lord himself has made it this way that like, we all come into the world as a result of communion, right? The communion of our own mother and father. We're meant to be formed in communion. We need each other. Like the Lord has set it up in such a way that I have needs and you have gifts where my needs are matched with your gifts. Like he set it up this way that we need each other. We need each other. We're not meant to be these little units, these isolated monads. We were these, this interwoven, interdependent reality. Like, that's what the Mass is. That's what heaven is. It's entering into communion. I mean, think about this. Like, I've often noticed, because I get invited to, you know, social gatherings often as a priest, like, how often people are really hesitant. Well, I'll put it this way. Most people show up to parties fashionably late on purpose. Have you ever paused to, like, really ask why? It's because... It's because you want to enter into something where it's already happening. Like, no one wants to, like, come into a party and, like, can I take your coat? Is anyone else here? No, it's just you. Like, ugh, right? You want to enter into something that's already happening. Like, that's who our God is. That's what the communion of saints is. That's what, that's what Christianity is. I love this quote from Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict he said, I have often affirmed my conviction that the true apology, the true defense of Christian faith, the most convincing demonstration of its truth are the saints and the beauty that the faith has generated. The saints and the beauty. The saints and the beauty. The saints are the ones who allow themselves to be pierced by God's beauty. And what he means by like the beauty that the faith is generating, he's talking about our art, our architecture, our music, our poetry, our literature, our, our liturgy, all of it. It is, it, it, it's the Pope's way of saying like, just look at it. Like just, just look at the life of St. Francis of Assisi. Just look at the life of Catherine of Siena. Just look at the life of St. Martin de Porres. Look at the life of Mother Teresa. Like just, just look at it. It, you can't argue with it. You can't argue with it. You can't argue with Shark Cathedral. Like, it just makes its case, right? The saints are God's masterpieces. 
they're God's masterpieces. They're, it's like they are his sculptures. The lives of the saints are so radiantly beautiful. Like Mother Teresa, at the end of her life, she was named Time Magazine Most Beautiful Woman of the Year. Objectively speaking now, like, that woman's got a lot of wrinkles, okay? Like, there was, like, you're all, like, holding it together right now. Like, is he, is he like, dissing Mother Teresa right now? Like, <laughs> yes, I am, all right? <laughs> Objectively speaking, though, right? Like, she's, she's no supermodel. What were they intuiting? They were intuiting that it was the radiant beauty of her life that was so captivating, so riveting, so unspeakably beautiful. Most beautiful woman of the year. You know, Jesus, in, in I think it's Matthew's gospel, he talks about the end of time, that the kingdom of heaven is like a great net that drags in the fish. And then the angels will sit down and like sort them in buckets, the good from the bad. But in the Greek, the word that's actually used is the beautiful from the ugly. The beautiful from the ugly. We want our lives to be beautiful. We want, like, what is the beauty of a human life? It's holiness. It's holiness. Like, the lives of the saints, like Michelangelo's David, like, they were hammered out of suffering and circumstance and, and so many things, but like, Like, the saints are the ones that God, like, they put themselves into God's hands and said, make me something beautiful. And to the marble, right, the stroke of the, the, the chisel, can, it can feel like violence. It can feel like you are destroying me. But God's saying, I'm doing something in you. I'm doing something in you. Like, when... When brutal things happen in your life and my life, things that you and I, we wish for all the world, it would go away. This is the moment where God is saying, I'm sculpting something unbelievably beautiful in you. Will you trust me? Like This is why at the bottom of the image of divine mercy, it doesn't read, Jesus, be merciful on us. It's, Jesus, I trust in you. At really, at the end of the day, when it comes to this path of discipleship, it is a constant invitation to deeper and deeper trust. To deeper and deeper trust. So let's begin getting more practical into this question. This, I'm thinking of this question of who and what are the saints as this sort of multi, multifaceted diamond that I just want to kind of keep rotating through the night. Because there's so many ways we can answer this question. <clears throat> so they're going to be here till like 9.30, Deacon? Is that right? Okay, all right, all right. Bah humbug, okay. All right. Let's start with this as our first answer. The saints, what is a saint? A saint is a sinner. <laughs> a saint is a sinner. I wanted this image to depict this, right? So Jesus is crucified with two men, one on his right, one on his left. The saint on his right, the saint on his right is, we call him Saint Dismas. St. Dismas. St. Dismas, we don't know much of his story other than he ended up on a cross on a, on a particular day next to the Son of God crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
right? St. Dismas in the 11th hour at the 59th minute at the 59th second didn't ask Jesus to take him off the cross. All he did was cry out and ask for mercy. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. G.K. Chesterton, who's a brilliant mind, a brilliant Catholic, he said, there are saints indeed in my religion, but a saint only means a man who knows he is a sinner. One of the paradoxes, if you start reading the lives of the saints, one of the paradoxes you'll come across is the saints, like the ones who seem like the most holy are the ones who are just going on about how they are the worst sinners imaginable. Like you read St. Therese of Sue's autobiography, Story of a Soul, you're like, like, I don't think that girl committed a mortal sin a day in her life. And she's like, I am the worst person ever. Like, what? Teresa of Avila, same thing. Like these unbelievable saints, why? Think about like, so Northeast Ohio, we all have this, this experience of driving in these wintry, salty, cold, dark nights, right? So you're driving at night, headlights on, brights out in front of you, no cars coming towards you, right? You can see through your windshield just fine. There's no issues, right? You see all the trees and the snow and everything in front of you. As soon as a car comes in your direction, as soon as the light is coming directly at you, what does it do to your windshield? It illuminates all the imperfections, all the salt, all the spray, all of it, right? When you are oriented directly into the light, all of the imperfections are all the more on display. A sign of spiritual health is that if you're growing in holiness, you're growing in your own awareness of your own junk and crap and your need for being saved. Like you are in a much more dangerous place, spiritually speaking, if you think, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much okay. Guess what? You are driving away from the light and you can't see the imperfections in your windshield. But if you are oriented towards the light, all the more will the imperfections show up. Like Jesus, will, will, he will perpetually reveal how deep the need goes. The saints realize more and more, like, I just don't, I, it's not even that I need you to help me stop lying, Lord. It's, I need you to help me to, like, I need, I need your help to breathe, to stand, to keep gravity working. <laughs> like, that's how deep the need goes. It's not just like, I'm pretty much good, except I lie sometimes. He's like, no, no, no. You need me to breathe, man. That's how deep the need goes. I want, to, I want to look at a saint. I want to tell you a story of a saint real quick who has just come to mean so much to my heart recently. It's this guy. St. <clears throat> Mark Ji Tianjing. Who is St. Mark? St. Mark was an opium addict. I didn't say he had been an opium addict. I said was an opium addict. So... For many years, this man, Xi, right, he was a respectable Christian in his community, and he was raised in a beautiful Christian family in the 19th century in China, and he was a leader of his Christian community, he had a big family, lots of kids, and he was, a, he was a physician. He was a physician. Well, he developed this stomach malady, and as was common practice in the day, he, he treated himself with opium. It was, it was just common practice. However, he developed a pretty severe addiction, so severe that it, it just gripped him for the rest of his life. And this was so shameful. It was so shameful, and it was so scandalous for him. It was scandalous for this Christian leader to be 
addicted to this, right? So he would go to confession, he would go to his priest, and of course, in the 19th century, they don't really understand addiction processes and how the brain works, blah, blah, blah. He would confess this over and over, and the priest was like, eventually the priest said, look, you clearly don't have a firm resolve to never do this again. Don't come back. Don't come back to the sacrament. And don't receive the Eucharist. So for 30 plus years, 30 plus years, he didn't receive Eucharist, he didn't go back to confession, and he begged God for the grace of martyrdom, because he thought, this is the only way that I'm ever going to be a saint. Well, St. Mark, he received, he received what he asked for. The, uh, the Boxer Rebellion started in, in China, and him and his whole village, they were rounded up. His whole family was rounded up, and they were all condemned to death. And he begged, he begged the authorities, please let me die last. Because he said, I don't want any of my family to apostatize to deny the faith, he said, I want to encourage every single one of them up to the moment that they give their lives to the Lord. And he said, I don't want any of them to die alone. So he stood there and he encouraged his family and his grandson asked him as they were being marched to their, the place of execution, where are we going? He just said to him, we're going home. He died as a martyr still in the throes of his opium addiction, still feeling the withdrawal in his body. Like when he was held in prison, it, like all the other Christian prisoners around him thought like this, this is going to be, this man is going to be the first to apostatize. He is so weak willed. He can't even stay away from this drug. He, he was the last and he never apostatized. He never denied his faith. Unbelievable man. A sinner who knew he was loved by the Lord. Back to this question, who and what are the saints? The saints are not perfect people. Like St. Mark, if he shows us anything, it's you do not have to have all of your crap together in order to then be useful to God. Like that's not who the saints are. The saints are the ones who open themselves up to the Lord in his mercy who and what are the saints? The saints are the friends of God. That's the next answer I would give. The saints are the friends of God. We just had the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle on uh, November 30th. And on the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle, in the breviary, in the Liturgy of the Hours, the priests and deacons, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that we promise to pray at our ordination. There's an antiphon, I think it's morning prayer, for the Feast of St. Andrew that reads this. It says, Christ loved Andrew and cherished his friendship. Every year, that like just stops me in my tracks. Christ loved Andrew and cherished his friendship. Notice it was not like Jesus was really proud of Andrew's work ethic. Christ depended on Andrew and he came through. Christ doled out the to-do list and Andrew crushed it. Christ loved Andrew and cherished his friendship. Just think right now, whose friendship do you cherish? Who do you just love being with? Who do you delight to be with? Because Jesus says you. He delights to be with you. At the Last Supper, he says to them, 
I no longer call you slaves because slaves don't know what their master is doing. I've called you friends because I've told you everything I've heard from my father. One of my favorite lines in the New Testament. I've told you everything. Like, there's, there's nothing held back. I've shared it all. Like, it's all revealed. Like, you got access to my whole heart, guys. Like, that's what he's saying. That's Jesus. The saints are the ones who leaned into this friendship and did this thing called prayer where they just wasted time with him. They, if you want a good definition of prayer, it's letting yourself be loved for a little bit. Letting someone cherish you for a little bit of time. Christ loved Andrew and cherished his friendship. The saints leaned into that. They spent time with him. They listened to his voice. They, they rested on his heart. They received from him. They drank in from him. They attuned themselves to him, right? Like the more you spend time with the good shepherd, the more in tune with his voice do you become and more in tune with his thinking do you become and more in tune with his, his whole way of being do you become, right? That's why when, when the disciples of John the Baptist asked Jesus, right? They're, they're, the disciples, John, John just said, behold the Lamb of God. And so two of his disciples start walking, following Jesus. And he turns around, looks at them. He says, what are you looking for? What do you desire, right? And they ask him, Master, where are you staying? Like, we just, we just want to stay. We want to be where you are. You know, one of the words that gets used over and over and over again by John in his gospel is the Greek word meno, which gets translated either as remain or abide, right? Think about the vine and the branches. Remain in me as I remain in you. Abide on the vine, like all the, those sorts of images. This is, what G, this is what the saints did. They abided in him. They remained in him. And that what that allowed them to do is they were able to be him in the world effectively. You know, has anybody ever been to like a, like a great orchestra concert, like the Cleveland Orchestra or something like that? One of my favorite moments of the orchestra, right? So at the beginning, they're all like, like all like warming up. It's all cacophonous. And then this moment happens. Let's see if this plays. Oh, I don't have this. Do I not have the sound? That's not what I meant. Hold on. Hold, please. how long that went on, but that was pretty great. <laughs> Jesus is the the incarnation. He's that note. 
sin. Sin was this cacophony. It was this scattering, disorder, chaos. All the notes were in disarray. Um, who my Lord of the Rings people again in here? Okay, anybody read this, um, the Silmarillion? Okay, so nobody? All right. I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> so in the mythology of Tolkien, the universe was created in music, just like Lewis. The, the universe was sung into being. And um, in the world of Middle-earth, the, these fallen, or these angel spirits, one of them is named Melkor, He's, who is Lucifer in this story, right, in this world. He sings this dissonant note into the original choir of creation and throws everything into chaos, right? He sings this dissonant note. Jesus comes into the world to reharmonize everything, right? And our, like that sound of all those instruments coming into line with that single note, like you can think of it as like that's all the saints aligning themselves with that note, or you can also think of it like that's all the parts in me coming into alignment with that reality, right? Because like there's still parts of us that will, throughout the rest of your life that will stay like disintegrated, right? Like at war with God, right? And the, the, the battle of the spiritual life is trying to bring everything into harmony with Jesus. That's what it sounds like to grow in sanctity. So I can put it this way too. The saints, another answer to the question, the saints are the ones who did what Mary did. The saints did what Mary did and they opened themselves up to the Lord and they said yes. I read this quote from uh, Carol Houselander, who is a British mystic. That's not Carol Houselander. I guess I don't have. Do I have that quote? Oh, good. Okay. Like, it's a great quote. Okay. The one thing she did, Mary did, and does is the one thing that we all have to do, namely to bear Christ into the world. The one thing she did, we all have to do, to bear Christ into the world. Okay. Physically in our wombs? No. In our humanity? Yes. In your humanity, yes. Your yes is utterly unique. Like Mary allowed the Spirit of God to blow through her so perfectly. Right? She allowed the Spirit of God to blow through her, allowing God's song, that note, boom, to enter the world. Your yes, your yes, your yes, your yes, your yes adds a unique note to the choir of creation that nobody else can sing for you. You know why? Because you are a unique, unrepeatable, irreplaceable image of God. There's never been another you. There's never going to be another you. No one can say yes for you. And if you don't say yes, the choir of heaven, the, the fullness of the communion of saints is poor for it. Like, I need you to be a saint. The song of heaven will be less if you're not a saint. The world loses out if you don't become a saint. No one can take your place. No one can do your mission for you. Here's another great answer to the question, what are the saints? The saints are the ones who are sane and fully alive and not stupid. <laughs> I don't know another way to put it. They're sane, fully alive, and not stupid. They attach their heart's longing for happiness and fulfillment to the one who alone can satisfy they took their hunger to the banquet, not to the dumpster. The guy eating out of the dumpster, you don't yell at him for eating out of the dumpster. You don't yell at him for being hungry. You say, can I show you where the real food is? 
Can I show you where the banquet is? The saints were the ones who said, I'm going to orient my heart and my desires for the banquet, right? St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We have this aching longing. I talked about at the beginning of the year, this deep longing for the infinite. We were made to partner with the infinite, to partner with the infinite. But we don't live in Eden anymore, right? We live in this fallen world surrounded by all of these things. And so we take our hearts and give them to things that are undeserving of our hearts. And we look at things and say to money, to say, we say to honor and work and pleasure and adventure and, and possessions. We say to those things, fulfill me, satisfy me, make me whole, make me complete. And they never can because they're idols. They're not God, right? Pope Benedict, again, he said this, man's aching desire for the infinite is like a signature imprinted with fire in his soul and body by the creator himself. The heart's thirst and the body's longing cannot be eliminated. The saints aimed their longing, their desire, their hunger towards the one who alone can satisfy. Now, I want to show you a video. What most people in our world, in the secular world, like what most people in our world look like who don't do this, who don't orient their hearts to heaven, to the one who alone can satisfy, they chase after happiness in all sorts of counterfeits. Let's watch this. Thank you. 
Okay. Brutal to watch. Yeah, the, um, the, I have to ask you this question. Was his desire for happiness bad? Oh, come on. No. No. This yearning in his heart, this, this Grand Canyon-sized hole that he felt for fulfillment, for happiness, for happiness. He, it led him, it took him, he was running after all sorts of counterfeits. Like not the real thing. He was aiming his desire at things that were unworthy of his heart. Now look, when it comes to our hearts, when it comes to the saints, there's three choices, right, in this world. You can become an addict, like he did, trying to get more and more of what doesn't satisfy. You can, be, you can become a stoic, just shut it all down. I don't feel anything, I don't need anything. Not going to desire, not going to ache, not going to long. You can become an addict, you can become a stoic, or you can become like a saint, which is to say an aspiring mystic. Someone who allows the things of this world to awaken their longing and to wait in joyful hope for the fulfillment that is coming. Right? This world is full of, uh, the way I, the, a friend of mine, she puts it, is it's like crumbs from the banquet table fall on earth. And I don't mean to say that like you just starve because you eat crumbs. No, I mean like, like I have friends in my life who are, who are they're, they're like a crumb from the banquet table. Their friendship is like, like heaven tastes something like this friendship. Heaven looks something like this sunset. Heaven feels something like this bed right now. Like to see all of these beautiful things as things that awaken our ache and our longing, but are ultimately fulfilled in glory. I'll put, I'm going to move through a few of these a little bit faster. Saints... The saints are the little, they're like little burning bushes, right? Mary is the burning bush. 
of the New Testament, the burning bush who allowed the fire in, didn't, con- didn't destroy her, but it filled her, right? It was on fire but not consumed. That's who the saints are. There's stories of, of, film, of filmmakers who went to go film Mother Teresa, documentary filmmakers, who after they followed her for days with these cameras, they go back to London, they try and pr- uh, process their film, they couldn't use any of it. You know why? Because the film itself was all overexposed. It was as if they were filming directly into the sun, they said. Like, it was as if there was this infrared light radiating out of her that destroyed all of their film. Little burning bushes. You gotta put sunscreen when you're on Mother Teresa. (laughs) What they did is what she did, which is to say, the Lord approached, they opened themselves up, and they let the Lord in. If you were to take like a spiritual MRI of every baptized person, it would look like Our Lady. It would look like Our Lady. It would look like this icon, right? At your baptism, the Trinity begins to dwell in you. God dwells in you. God dwells in you. The saints lived into this reality. They let the Lord dwell in them and they bore him into the world. Here's another answer to the question, what and who and what are the saints? They were real people. Now, I'm about to get on a soapbox here. They were real people. I I have like a personal vendetta against the holy card industry, okay? Here's why. That's why, all right? That's why I have a personal vendetta against the holy card industry because it's so grainy. Okay, no, that's not why. But like, I, okay, St. Francis... St. Francis was so, he, he was, he's so much more than just a bird bath, okay? They depict him like this guy who's just like, like perfect skin. They all probably talk with a British accent. Birds chirping around his head. Like, these, these guys don't look real. They don't look real. Apparently you don't care. Okay, okay. <laughs> Like, this, is, this comes from my days in the seminary, okay? So, like, seminarians traded holy cards like Pokemon cards. It drove me crazy. Like, got St. Helena. I don't know what St. Joseph is doing to baby Jesus here, but I really don't like it, okay? Like, it's really disturbing. But, like, they make the saints look, they make the saints look fake. Like, not real people. Like, do these people look like they had B.O.? Like, they ever went to the bathroom? Like... I mean, maybe he looks like he went. He's, I don't know. It just drives me nuts. It just drives me nuts. The saints were real people. And because of, because of bad Christian art, we get this impression that the saints were, were they had to be boring. They had to be, they had to be boring. Probably walked around, hands folded all the time, like not thinking real thoughts. I don't know. Like, we get this impression they weren't really human, that they were boring and lifeless and plastic and uh, that they never laughed or had fun. Like, the saints were so fully alive. They were so fully alive. Like, there's stories, St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, on the left, St. Therese, she was um, in life. She was, she was a portly girl. She was a, she was a bigger girl. And after she died, they like doctored up her photo when they distributed it out to the other monasteries because you can't have a fat saint. Like, that's like, they made it look like they just, they, they refused to let them be real people. They refused to let them be real people. 
There's a statue of St. Therese in, um, in Rome that I'm like, that's, that's my girl right there. That's St. Therese, right? That's St. Therese. She was like, you want to go get a pizza? I'm like, yeah, let's go get a pizza. <laughs> I love, more than these holy cards, I love like, the art of Caravaggio. Caravaggio, who was a Renaissance painter, he was incredibly, like, this was scandalous when he was, when he was alive. That he, did, that he had the audacity to depict our Lord and the saints in this very, like, gritty human way. Like, you, like there's dirt underneath Thomas's fingernails. Like, the wrinkly lines on the forehead, the receding hairline, right? Like, he depicted them real. The problem, too, is that if we look at the saints, if we look at the saints like this, we think of them as like these absolutely perfect, pristine people. We often get the thought of like, oh, I can never do that. I can never be like them. And like, I don't even know if I want to be like them. Like the saints were not the cause of their own holiness. They were the effect. They were not the cause. They were the effect. Do I want to stop here? Yeah. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to do a few minutes of questions. And then we're going to resume stuff. Okay, so we're going to take like, I don't know, take like a seven-ish minute break. If you've got any questions about saints, what we're talking about tonight, we can go into that. All right, let's take a break. Anybody, okay, so a good, another good definition of saint would be anybody who's in heaven. Yeah, so there are saints who we know are in heaven, canonized saints. And they become canonized saints these days uh, either through martyrdom or through miraculous healings. Probably that's typically how it goes, miraculous healings that get attributed to their intercession. So um, like St. John Paul II, there was a nun who um, she had Parkinson's and the sisters, they asked for his intercession because he also had Parkinson's and she had this immediate miraculous healing of Parkinson's, which you don't just heal from. Um, so you've got canonized saints in heaven and you've got people who will never know their names, but are in heaven. Like I think about my grandparents in heaven. Um, and uh, like no one's opening their cause for canonization, but I'm quite convinced that they're there. And uh, so, yeah, they're like St. Noreen, St. Richard, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Teresa. How do you become a saint? Oh, man. Uh, well, let's just do this answer. Yeah, the I would say this that like the 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 surefire ways are stay in the church. <laughs> Let's do that. Stay in the Catholic Church because you have the fullness of means of sanctification through the sacraments, right? So all the things that all the channels of grace that Jesus wanted for us to have to grow in our life of holiness are available in the Catholic Church: baptism, reconciliation, anointing, mass, priesthood, holy orders, all these things. Um, if you're married, your vocation, you're, you're loving your spouse well, um, showing them mercy, being Jesus to them is like they are your ladder to heaven. Some of you just got real depressed. <laughs> yes, Kim. Why, did, why do you think all the saints died such horrible? They didn't all die horrible deaths. Not all of them? No, not all of them. No, no, no. Um, yeah, a lot. I mean, the martyrs died pretty horrendous deaths. I, 
if I'm ever, if I, if the Lord has a mind martyrdom for me, he better give me some serious grace of anesthesia or something in the moment, because I will be a very uninspiring martyr. Just, it hurts so much, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say this, that they, a lot of saints, a lot of saints do experience a lot of suffering towards the end of their life, whether sickness or, or like persecution, martyrdom. Um, because they, they want to be conformed to Jesus, and Jesus gives the gift of his cross to people who ask for it. Right? There's no greater intimacy with the Lord than intimacy with him on the cross. I mean, because he suffered so much. And that's yeah. what I wondered if that had... Yeah, yeah. Rich? Can you talk about the, the terms of when we say venerable, blessed, and that type of thing? It's like a timeline. I mean, how long does it take before the church declares someone? Yeah, it, it usually takes decades or centuries for someone to be declared a saint. So, um, St. John Paul II, he died in 2005, and he was canonized in 2013. Someone fact-checked that. He was either beatified, I think he was canonized in 2013, which is unbelievably fast in the timeline of, of the history of the church. Um, when he died, people were gathered in St. Peter's Square, and they were already chanting, Santo Subito, which means saint, make him a saint now. Santo Subito. Um, just because of the exemplary, unbelievable holiness of his life. I, I mean, I might have time to get to it a little bit here, but the, um, usually it takes quite a while. So it usually goes like this, that someone, um, someone lived a very holy, just powerful, inspirational life. They die. And um, a group of people, so friends of this person, people who are close to this person, um, they approach their bishop and they begin to open up the cause for this person's path to sanctity, right? They say, like, like we believe that this person lived a, a life of, her, of heroic virtue, that their life is like one of those lives you can say, yeah, if you, if you kind of follow what they did, you're on the right path. So you approach the bishop, the bishop can give a go-ahead that this person can be declared um, venerable. Over a period of time, that person, if, uh, if miracles get attributed to their intercession, they would then become a blessed, so they get beatified. So it's a formal ceremony, the Pope's involved. Um, and then after that, if another miracle comes through, then they become canonized. It's a way of, like, it's like a two-step verification process, right? Um, to three-step? Oh, that's right. Which one comes first, servant of God? God, venerable, blessed. And we have some local people that are servant of God status. Yeah, that's right. We have some saints from around here. If any of you have heard of Rhoda Wise down in Canton, and then you know Mother Angelica, they're both on the path. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a process. And you know, you've heard the term devil's advocate, right? We've heard that term. That comes from, uh, it comes from the, the process of canonizing people, right? So like the church would assign someone to be the devil's advocate in a particular case, and their job is to poke holes and find as, as like, like, like basically be the sandbags on their hot air balloon. And like, all right, are they really a saint? Like, can we really, did we read all this stuff? Did they really live a life of heroic virtue? Can we really trust them? And... Yeah, that's where that comes from. Someone plays the devil's advocate. Yes? Where do you, is there some way to find like, those people that are on, on the list, if you will? Yeah, I bet if you Google search like, like Ohio 
servant of God, Ohio servant, there's Ohio venerables? obviously has a very specialized place in heaven, the fact that he can go to the foot of the cross on behalf of this nun on earth and pray for her remarkable healing. So he's obviously in a spot where God's listening to him directly. So like, oh, he is a saint. We know he's in heaven. It's not like the church says, oh, we're going to make him a saint, and now he goes to heaven. Yeah. It's a recognition. But yeah, if you just look up, like, go to Wikipedia, like, find service of God, I'm sure you'll find a list like this one, the venerable, and they'll tell the story. And it's really cool. I, I mean, there, you go look, and there are, you know, 20-year-old girls from Minnesota that are, like, blessed from servants of God. And mm-hmm. it's, there, there's lots of saints. We know the famous 30 of them, but there's thousands of them within church history. Yeah. Okay. Should I resume the journey? Okay. I want to return to that point that I was making right before the break. This, this idea that the saints are not the cause of their own holiness. They are the effect. When you see a saint, you're seeing the effect of God's grace in a human being's life. Right? St. Paul, he put it this way in his letter to the, to the Ephesians. He says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose power at work in us can do more than we could ask or imagine. His power at work in us can do more than we can ask or imagine. Like, I just want to look at some of these, just a few of these lives of saints, just as like, let's, like, their life, the power of God at work in their life is more than we could ask or imagine. I want to look at, uh, let's move on from those holy cards. My gosh. Okay, yeah, more Caravaggio. That's his crucifixion of Peter. That's his conversion of Paul. There's more of those tapestries. Okay. Yeah, more of the tapestries. Da, 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 da. Okay, I want to talk about these two guys real quick. So on the left, you've got Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati. And on the right, you've got, um, I think he's canonized now, Saint Padre Miguel Pro, I think. Can you fact check that for me? Miguel Pro? Okay, Pier Giorgio Frassati. Who is this, this mountain climbing, pipe smoking, uh, 24-year-old guy. He was the son of Italian aristocrats. His dad was the uh, editor of an Italian newspaper called La Stampa. Jesus got into Pier Giorgio Frassati's boat early on in his life, very early on. He developed a deep spirituality 
uh, and he never hesitated to share it with anybody, right? He would make, he would go out with his buddies and, 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 and drink with them, but then he would say, let's go by the church and make a holy hour real quick before we go home, right? Or let's pray a rosary real quick before we go home. Those sorts of things. He loved the Eucharist. He loved the Blessed Mother. Those were the two anchors of his life. When he was 17, he joined the Order of St. Vincent de Paul, not as like a religious, but like he became someone whose life was dedicated to serving the poor, right? He came from a well-off family and everything that he had, he basically gave away, including up at the end of his life. So he contracted from like caring for the poor. He contracted poliomyelitis from service to the, to the homeless. Like he's dying. He's in excruciating pain. And he's telling his doctor, oh, can you please just don't give me the medicine, give it to this other guy who also has the same disease, right? So up until the point of his death, he's giving away his own medicine, right? Unbelievable. So when he did finally die, he died at 24 years old, literally tens of thousands of Italians from the city of Turin came to his funeral. His family, right, all dressed up in their nice Italian finest, right? His family were like, who are all these people? <laughs> like, freaking out. Like, all, all of these homeless people, haggard-looking people, like, really rough-looking people. That, tens of thousands of them come pouring into the church for this funeral because the way that Pier Giorgio Frassati touched their life, no one, no one knew what he was doing. No one knew the impact of his life. This one life touched Thousands, touch thousands. Miguel Pro, this guy right here on the right. Miguel Pro was a Jesuit priest. Is he saint or is he blessed, Chris? He's blessed. Okay, he's, he's a Jesuit priest from Mexico who combated the communist regime of uh, President Plutarco Calles. Okay, so there was this massive atheistic regime that erupted in Mexico in the beginning of the 20th century, and they like decimated the Catholic Church, killing priests, killing nuns, burning churches, just trying to destroy the whole thing. So Miguel Pro, as a priest, he serves on the part of the, the Cristeros, the, the Christian fighters who want to retain their, their, relig their religiosity, right? And their battle cry was, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. This guy was crazy. I don't know how there's not a movie yet about his life. He would go, he would dress up in like police disguises. He would put on a police outfit and just walk into a precinct and release Christians who were arrested. Or he would bring the sacraments to people who were in prison, just dressed up as a cop, right? He was like state enemy number one, right? So he was eventually, he was eventually betrayed by his own and uh, he was sentenced to death. This is him the moment before he was executed by a firing squad. It's the first martyrdom caught on film, Miguel Pro's death. He stretched out his hands and he says, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. Unbelievable, right? The power at work in us can do more than we can ask or imagine. More than we can ask or imagine. Anybody know who this guy is? St. Padre Pio. St. Padre Pio. He was, I mean, this, you want to talk about the saints. So he's, he's relatively recent. He died in 1968 recent in terms of church history, right? Like he's incredibly well documented. There's, there's actual photographs and you can even watch him celebrate mass on YouTube. You can watch him celebrate mass, it's pretty cool. I got to use his chalice at my first mass. That was pretty neat. Um, anyway, so he had basically every supernatural um, gift that you can have, right? So like things like um, when celebrating mass, people would hear Somehow, the, the sounds of the crucifixion, he had the gift of reading souls in the confessional. So people would go to him, and if they were withholding things, like he, like he knew. He knew. Right? You're like, I don't know what to cover up, man. Right? Like, 
when he was a young friar, when he was a young friar, he received the stigmata after celebrating mass. What's the stigmata? It's the wounds of Christ in his body, not self-inflicted wounds of Christ in his hands and his feet and his side. And they bled every day for 50 straight years. On Fridays, they bled more. On Good Friday, it was a torrent of blood. The blood that was coming out of the, out of the wounds of, his, of the stigmata was a different blood type than the blood in his veins. He was bleeding someone else's blood, right? He had miraculous healings. There was a little girl. She was born blind from birth because she was born without pupils. Her name was Gemma de Georgie. Her mother brought her to Padre Pio for him to pray over her. He prayed over her. She regained her sight immediately, but she never regained pupils. She was at his canonization. He had the gift uh, of what's called bilocation, which sounds like what it sounds like. He appeared in two places at the same time. This is so well documented, it's unbelievable. One of the more incredible stories of Padre Pio bilocating, so it's southern, it, southern Italy is in the grip of Nazi Germany during World War II. Fact check, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So there was American bombers flying over San Giovanni Rotondo, where Padre Pio lived. He had promised the villagers, I promise you, I promise you, our town will not be destroyed. They were flying over. They were about to drop bombs. All of a sudden, the American pilots, this is in, this is in U.S. documentation. American pilots report that there is now a friar in a brown robe outside of the cockpit in the sky, pointing to go that way. He directed their plane away from the town. True story. It's a true story. Yeah, okay, and oh, just by the way, he's one of the many saints of the church who, whose body remained uh, intact after he died. He's an incorrupt saint, meaning his body's not decomposing. He wasn't preserved. There's no, like, special chemicals in his body. He's just preserved. Another one, for example, is this girl. This is St. Bernadette. She was the one that Mary appeared to in Lourdes, France uh, in the 1880s, I think. Uh, 1888? 58? Um, this is what she looks like today. She's taking a nap. She was buried in essentially what was effectively a swamp. And the sisters, uh, after she, uh, during her cause for canonization, they exhumed her body. And uh, the, the casket had basically all decomposed. The burlap sack around her had decomposed. And she looked like that. She looked like that. We've heard of St. Vincent de Paul. We've talked about St. Vincent de Paul tonight a little bit. We have a St. Vincent de Paul Society here at our parish. Does amazing charitable work for the poor. You ever wonder what St. Vincent de Paul looks like? I'll show you, because there he is. I took this picture. He's in Paris. You can walk up the steps behind the altar, and you can kneel down these, like in this glass box. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you can count his eyelashes. There he is. Okay, I guess the question would be like, why would God do this? <laughs> why would God do this? To show us the significance of our bodies and to be just an, an incontrovertible sign of holiness. Like our bodies matter. What we do with our bodies matters because our bodies are destined for glory, right? Okay, I want to talk real briefly about, um, I want to talk about St. John Paul II and then we'll probably land it, right? So this is him with his mom and dad when he was a little boy on the left. So he was Karol Wojtyla. He was raised in Poland. That's him making his first communion. He looks pretty happy to make his first communion, right? <laughs> I think about this picture on First Communion Day with our kids. I'm like, you could be a pope. You look pretty ticked off today. 
Okay, so there he is getting ready for his first communion. He was, an, uh, he was just a brilliant and very gregarious young man. He was an actor. He was a poet. He was a scholar. I love this picture on the right, him as a young man with that slick back hair and that strong chin. So he discerned a call to the priesthood while the Nazis were um, occupying Poland, and he entered the seminary. as an underground seminary, right? So SS walking around. He's in the seminary underground hiding from them. I did above-ground seminary when there was no Nazis, and that was still plenty hard, Okay. He's an underground seminary. He emerges as a, as a young priest, and he serves at the University of Lublin, where he does all sorts of work. That's him lounging on the grass there. Um, takes college-age kids up into the mountains for hikes, and he takes young adults, couples, and, and he does all these retreats for them. They called him Wujek. In Polish, anybody know what that means? Uncle. He was just so dear to them. He was Wujek to them. So he, uh, he becomes a young, look at that, isn't that great? Shaven in the wild, reading his breviary on a canoe. So he, he's so cool. He's just, as cool as I ever want to be, I'll never be that cool. Oh, man. Okay, so he's, he becomes a young archbishop, Archbishop of Krakow, Poland. And um, soon after that, becomes a cardinal, comes to, the, comes to Rome in 1978 for the first conclave of 1978. Paul VI had died. The cardinals elect a guy named Albino Luciani. He takes the name Pope John Paul I. He's pope for all of 30 days, and then he dies. And the cardinals come back, and they elect Pope John Paul II. The guy skied. He got to hold koala bears. And I think coolest of all, he got to wear Bono sunglasses. I mean, <laughs> who gets to wear Bono sunglasses? Am I right? So he suffered, um, he, was so, he was such an enemy to the, the forces of darkness and communism that the communists, they hired a, a, an assassin to, to kill him. So it was the feast of Our Lady of Fatima, and a gunman named Ali Akka fired three bullets into the Pope's abdomen in St. Peter's Square, basically point-blank range. Um, he goes down, all chaos breaks out. He's rushed to the hospital. We'll tell the story later in the year, but he's rushed to the hospital He's miraculously, he survives it. Months later, he visits Akka in prison, and Akka only had one question he'd been ruminating on for months. How are you alive? And the Pope said, one hand pulled the trigger, another hand guided the bullet. Right? Our Lady, Our Lady. I'm going to skip this, because we're going to end with uh, a prayer. Um, do we have petitions, though? tonight okay I have to unfold them hold on So this is what we'll do. We're going to pray. We're going to offer up these petitions to the Lord. Uh, then I'm going to end with a, a reflection, a little reflection by um, Dr. Peter Kraft, who's a brilliant Catholic philosopher from Boston College. He's written, I don't know, 
five trillion books. He's written every book. He's really annoying. He's so prolific. Um, but anyway, it's a beautiful reflection from him on what is a saint. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that through our baptism we are called into communion. We're called into the communion of saints, that we are called to be saints. Lord, your power at work in us can do more than we can ask or imagine. The saints weren't perfect people. They were just people who had them, their hearts perfectly open to your merciful love, which is perfect. The saints were not the cause of their holiness. They were the effect. You are the effect. You are the cause, Lord. They burn brightly in this world. We want to burn brightly for you too, Jesus. Lord, we lift up to you tonight through the intercession of all the saints these various petitions. We pray for, for success for, uh, in exams tomorrow and Monday. We pray for someone to have extra compassion and empathy at work. Um, and just a prayer of praise that a missing student returned home. We also pray for uh, someone's son's family going through a lot with their oldest daughter right now, Lord. Lord, you know all of these situations, all of these people, all of these hearts. We lift them up to you. Or we ask you to hear and answer these prayers. What is a saint? First of all, one who knows he is a sinner. A saint knows all the news, both the bad news of sin and the good news of salvation. A saint is a true scientist, a true philosopher. A saint knows the truth. A saint is a seer, one who sees what's there. A saint is a realist. A saint is also an idealist. A saint embraces heroic suffering out of heroic love. A saint also embraces heroic joy. This is one of the criteria for canonization. Saints must have joy. A saint is a servant of Christ. A saint is also a conqueror greater than Alexander who only conquered the world. A saint conquers himself. What does it profit a man if he conquers the whole world but does not conquer himself? A saint is so open that he can say with Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I find myself to be self-sufficient. I know how to live in humble circumstances. I know also how to live with abundance. A saint marries God for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death. A saint is also so determined so stubborn that he will die before compromising the truth and will write credo in the sand with his own blood as he dies. One saint actually did this. A saint is a sworn enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He is locked in mortal combat with principalities and powers. A saint is also a friend and lover of the world. He kisses this sin-cancered world with the tender lips of the God of John 3.16. A saint declares God's war on this world, sinking the cross into the enemy-occupied earth like a sword, the hilt held by heaven. At the same time, he stretches his arms out on that very cross as if to say, See, this is how wide my love is for you. A saint is Christ's bride, totally attached, faithful, dependent, 
A saint is also totally independent, detached from idols and from other husbands. A saint works among these others money, power, pleasure, as a married woman works with other men, but will not marry them or even flirt with them. A saint is higher than anyone else in the world. A saint is the real mountain climber. A saint is also lower than anyone else in the world. As with water, he flows to the lowest places, like Calcutta. A saint's heart is broken by every little sorrow and sin. A saint's heart is also so strong that not even death can break it. It is indestructible because it's so breakable. A saint takes his hands off the steering wheel of his life and lets God steer. That's scary, for God is invisible. A saint also has hands that move the world. He has feet that move through the world with a sure step. A saint does not let others play God to him. A saint takes his orders from the general, not from the army. A saint also does not play God to others. A saint is a little Christ. Not only do we see Christ through his saints, as we see a light through a stained glass window, but we also understand the saints only through Christ, as we understand eggs only through chickens. Lord, help us to be saints. Give us the hunger to be saints. Give us the desire to settle for nothing but sanctity. To run after heaven no longer by any half measures, but with our full heart, with our full strength. Give us courage to burn and to burn brightly in the world. Give us the commitment to orient our hearts to the banquet that alone satisfies. Do not settle for less wild lovers that the world has to offer. For idols that have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear and nostrils that don't smell and hearts that don't beat. Lord, give us the grace to hunger for heaven as the saints did. We make this prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.